Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of 3D Universe Untethered. I'm Jeremy Simon with 3D Universe, and uh, today we are going to be talking about the Ultimaker ecosystem. And I use that term ecosystem intentionally because what I'm hoping to share with you today, with the help of my friend Matt Griffin, who I'll introduce momentarily, is kind of giving you a better understanding of the overall value of the Ultimaker ecosystem. The fact that you're not just getting a 3D printer, that you're getting all of these other things that tie in with the 3D printer that we'll talk about today. And uh, so we'll be talking about that. I do want to point out, any of you who have worked with 3D Universe for a while know that we are vendor agnostic. We always try to sort of talk with our customers and understand what it is that they're trying to do and help guide them to whatever the most appropriate solution for them may be. Honestly, whether or not it's something we offer, we have many times pointed somebody somewhere else just because that seems to be the best fit for them and it doesn't happen to be something we offer. So we do offer other brands, we offer other solutions, um, but I got to say, myself personally, I do find a lot of value in the Ultimaker platform um, in how I have been able to use it over the years and uh, the things that we're going to be talking about today have certainly added value to my business and so that's some of what I hope to share with you today so that you understand sort of what you're getting when you get an Ultimaker 3D printing solution other than just the printer itself. As always, we're live streaming these, so this is on Facebook Live, and if you're watching with us live, please use the comments there to join us in this discussion. You can post questions, you can post comments, we'll see those in pretty much real time, and we can kind of bring you into the discussion here as we go. Uh, we might cover that at the end or as we go through, depending on timing, but we will try to get to your questions before we wrap up. So with that, I'm going to bring Matt on screen here and uh, embarrass him for a moment to uh, tell you a little bit about who Matt is. So Matt is the host and producer, first of all, of Talking Additive, a podcast series, which I'm going to ask him to share a little bit more with us about. Um, he's also the, um, uh, the producer of the Global Webinar Series for Ultimaker, where he's the director of community development. He's a co-founder of Construct3D as well. And for those of you not familiar with that, Construct3D is a vendor agnostic 3D printing, digital fabrication conference, and expo focused on academic use, best practices, and professional development opportunities for faculty, staff, and students from anything from informal to K-12 and higher education context, the whole spectrum of education. It's a great event. We've taken part in it, and it was a lot of fun. So, Matt, welcome. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, thanks so much for having me on here. I'm really excited to come join. Yeah, I've yeah, been great. catching uh, a bunch of these uh, over the course of the year, um, and have enjoyed it. Yeah, likewise. So you're. I want to talk a little bit about your series first. So you run a podcast series called Talking Additive, and maybe yeah. you could tell us a little bit more about that because you've had some great content on there, very very similar to some of the things that we've done. But tell us a bit more about that podcast series and where people can learn more about that. I'll actually pull it up on screen as you're describing that. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, so you can go to talkingadditive.com. Uh, so this is a show. I mean, speaking of uh, Jeremy's message to sort of start things off, that that he, you know that he is vendor agnostic and really wants to make sure customers have the the right solutions. Well, I mean that's kind of on brand for Ultimaker as well. I mean we we uh, we know we're not the only solution. We want to be sort of best citizens and uh, and really you know kind of win your love that way. Uh, so one of the ways that we do that is uh, we put a lot of our time and energy into to sharing knowledge and making sure that everybody out there can benefit uh, from this technology that we really see as transformative and really, uh, and, you know, 
one that initially, uh, I think all of us, uh, you know, Jeremy can remember the early days where we thought uh, this was all about replacing uh, manufacturing. Well, uh, that story might have changed a bit for for all of the professional desktop 3D printing. Um, We're now seeing how it's actually fully changing design and manufacturing uh, education. And uh, so so we run this show that is uh, not really uh, about talking about Ultimaker all the time. It's uh, it's our show to talk to our customers, allies, uh, material partners, uh, folks around the world that we think are really inspiring, and uh, share that knowledge with all the listeners. Uh, it's it's really kind of a business of three D printing show, where we often talk with uh, manufacturers or say material uh, developers, uh, you know, people who are offering you know, custom tech that really kind of changes things. Um, and looking at how this can really help, uh, you know, our, our listeners with with companies uh, change, you know, bring in additive, change their companies in positive ways, really draw value from from this technology. Yeah, it's it's great, yeah. and like I said, it's very it's very similar to kind of what we do here. I see it as maybe you guys tend to focus a little bit more on the larger scale and what industry is doing, and we tend to focus a little bit more on kind of smaller business and startups. I, it just happens to be what really inspires me when I see somebody that has some idea or something they're passionate about, and they can get you know a three D printer or a laser cutter, whatever it is, and start a business, you know, and get out of a job they hate. I just love those stories. You know, I think that's so exciting. Oh. Yeah, I mean it's it's been amazing. I I mean, Jeremy, you and I have both been in desktop three D printing, you know, and, and related technologies for uh, I mean at least ten years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so we've seen uh, we've seen this technology that um, you know it, it initially sort of miniaturized and and, and made uh, accessible some you know existing tech that was really expensive and and really wasn't put to the kind of uses that get, get us excited but we've watched it actually really change things for people and so uh i mean it's it's kind of you know it it's, it really is a you know a powerful force uh in particular in, in areas such as um you know allowing engineers and designers to to solve problems communicate what they're wanting to wanting to do and um be able to to achieve what they'd like to, uh, right there, you know, on site in ways that in the past would have involved, you know, lots of outside vendors and turnaround time and, you know, expensive service bureaus. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's really, uh, there are a lot of stories there. I mean, that's why I don't see talking additive slowing down. Um, we have a lot of, a lot of things on there, but I've actually been focusing on some of our, you know, enterprise and manufacturing customers who, um, we really can learn from, uh, right. you know, in seeing what they're doing and seeing how their thinking has changed. Uh, for example, uh, so, you know, we've been running just since uh, April of last year, uh, and we're on our 25th episode on Tuesday. So you have to check, check it out on Tuesday. It's, it's actually a pretty special one. Um, I'm probably not supposed to say what it is, but I don't care because I think we're starting to tease it anyway. Uh, we're starting to celebrate the 10th year anniversary of Ultimaker. Um, which is kind of an interesting one and we're doing it in an Ultimaker kind of way. So we're kind of thinking of it, not just like, uh, about ourselves, but in terms of, you know, it's actually kind of a parallel to the kind of the growing up of desktop 3d printing across the industry. Uh, we've kind of been there for that whole journey. 
So we're kind of focusing on it that way. So, so that episode on, on Tuesday will will feature some early stories and some some kind of growth moments that I think will be kind of exciting for people. Uh, but but we've we've had folks on there uh, over the twenty five episodes, uh, such as uh, like like Yob from Eric's. Uh, I thought that interview was really insightful. I mean, actually, the full interview was like three and a half hours. We 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 kind of kept going for a long time. Um, we trimmed it down for the what we broadcast. Uh, but he's kind of a deep thinker about three D printing and its potential context for for um, manufacturing and. The reason I bring that one up is that it, it represents um, a, a company that you know that often does things like you know help facilitate you know complex parts with 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 advanced needs for like say after you're done with a whole manufacturing run of something. Let me be sort of more specific. Like you have a machine in deployment and you've had it for a long time, and you can't get the supplies for one of the gaskets or one of the elements. And you, you need exactly the right thing. I mean, that might be, you know, for like, a, you know, medical manufacturing line or food and bev or, you know, wh- whatever that, that particular application is, you need the right thing. And mm-hmm. so they help uh, to facilitate making those parts. But, but here's where it gets really interesting and where uh, it's sort of proven to me that 3D printing, you know, has had its, its, its secret 3D revolution happening the whole time is that they're, they're not... Uh, they're really pushing uh, some of their you know top customers at the at the front end of when they're designing you know equipment solutions etc to think about you know can you make this part so it's easy to 3d print and and they do that because when you know when you're prototyping uh, and you're in your your needs are you know quantity needs are low uh, you can immediately uh, tackle making them because of all the functional materials out there uh, that can really match exactly what you need. Uh, but also because they, they're they proposing that the longer view on the life cycle of these parts is that someday you'll be done. You, you won't, you'll have no interest in doing another like hundred thousand injection molding runs of something, but you'll still have that solution out there in the field. You still might need some more, you know, spare parts, even, even, you know, regular runs of, uh, of, of parts that are wear and tear. Um, so if you make it so you can fabricate it another way in its, you know, it's twilight years, uh, then, uh, you've saved a lot of time and money and, um, and, and, and sort of thought it through. Uh, so, you know, you, you make some changes to how you would design it, uh, that impact the like injection molding or, you know, the large scale mass manufacturing run, uh, but, you, you know, put you in a good place to be able to uh satisfy that part um you know well beyond the end of life that you have in your mind because right. uh, patterns change and if, if nothing is more clear to everybody over the last year and a half uh in, in addition to so much we, we, you guys have covered a lot of really uh interesting aspects of, of covid and empowerment from you know from 3d printing uh but if uh if you can remember that the supply chain stuff the way it broke down um, that's really kind of underscored how fragile 
uh, That's right. you know, the whole supply chain ecosystem. And fluid. Now. It's just, it's this constantly yeah. changing environment as, you know, business owners already know, but this kind of reminds us an experience like we've had, right? And I, yeah, I keep hearing the same kind of stories. Uh, just recently, we featured one of our customers, Jason Enders from RE Suspension on our, our program. And I love to hear, because it's, it's the same story, you know, we used to outsource these parts when we wanted to prototype something and it would take several weeks to get one back and it would cost, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars, thousand dollars, something like that. Now we can turn it around inside of the same day and it costs a few bucks. And the time, that time piece, don't, don't underestimate that because yes, it, it saves you a huge amount of money, but you know, there's a certain momentum to the, the innovation cycle and you get ideas going. And the fact that you could design it and 3D print it and, and iterate in the same day, that is powerful stuff right there. And, and we were talking about that. So yeah, it, there's no doubt there's a lot of value in 3D printing. And I think a lot of uh, more and more people are realizing that it, it's more of a given that yes, there's value in 3D printing. But you know, we get as a, as a reseller, we're constantly getting the obvious question, which 3D printer should I get? So that kind of brings us back to the question of value. And um, so I mentioned in the, in the intro that, you know, we, I wanted to talk about the whole ecosystem uh, of Ultimaker. And so let me kind of clarify uh, to get us going on this, what, what I think of when I think of that ecosystem. Obviously, the printers themselves. And I've always loved the Ultimaker printers because of their consistency and reliability. I've always told customers, you know, if you, if you don't want to have to spend your time managing the printer and tinkering and troubleshooting, and you just want to be able to focus on your job, your design, and let the printer do what it should do, that's that's where something like an Ultimaker shines. And so the printer hardware is great, but then you get the materials. So if you're going, it's an open material platform, you can use any material out there that's 285, which is just a mind-bogglingly growing list. I mean, there's so much to choose from out there, uh, including some of the exciting actual metal materials we've been looking at lately, the Bass F that you can actually send out and have sintered and get a real solid steel part from your Ultimaker. There's just such exciting stuff happening. Plus, when you're using Ultimaker branded materials, it's auto-detected by the printers on supported models. It's automatically read in by Cura. You get your automa- all your settings loaded. It just makes this wonderful, smooth, easy workflow. And then I mentioned Cura. So you get this best-in-class software for slicing free of charge. And I've been so amazed at how frequently that's been updated, how how far it has come, and how I just, I love it. I, it's, it's, you know, there's so many options out there, but, you know, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. I think at this point, Kira kind of owns the market of slicing. And uh, with the marketplace in there now and being able to get all these easy access, you know, material profiles and plugins. And then we're going to talk about Ultimaker Essentials, which you now get free with an Ultimaker printer. And this gives you access to different levels of support, uh, special software that's enterprise grade and other things that we'll explain. We, we'll talk about the Ultimaker Academy, where you now have an online e-learning you know, platform with onboarding courses that you can take to help your, your team get up to speed on, on the 3D printers. Um, so when you look at all of that together, the, 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 the hardware, the software, the materials, and how they all talk to one another, and the support and the services and everything that goes along to support that. It's just, to me, it's all that together that creates this really powerful scenario that has a lot of value that kind of goes beyond just 
getting a machine, you know. So like that was kind of where I what I wanted to kind of talk about as far as the ecosystem. And maybe a good way to start in on that, Matt, is, you know, Ultimaker recently did this, uh, what they called a transformation summit, pretty big event, multiple days, where you covered a lot of the things that I just kind of uh, outlined in a lot of detail. So maybe summarize for us, um, some of the things that were announced there and the things that you talked about, and, and we can kind of take the discussion from there, because I know we're going to get into all those topics then. Yep, perfect. Uh, so the Ultimaker Transformation Summit uh, was a virtual conference, because uh, as, as it happens, uh, some of you might have noticed that it's hard to do physical events right now. Uh, so we wanted to uh, explore that, but we wanted to kind of take it a little bit further. It, it was a first virtual conference for us. I, like We've done you know webinars and all kinds of uh, stuff online for years, like, like you know it, any of our peers have done. Uh, but um, we wanted to see what it was like to do this. And we paired it uh, with a kind of special moment. Um, at the beginning of this year, uh, we acquired a new CEO, uh, Jürgen von Hollen, uh, who is uh, really Im- impressive uh, CEO who's coming to us from Universal Robotics. And he's bringing some ideas uh, that, you know, speaking of ecosystem, uh, that really are pointing to uh, some exciting directions for Ultimaker to be taking uh, over the next several years and where we really are focusing on this kind of ecosystem view. Uh, Ultimaker is a platform and, uh, and, and what may help, uh, you know, viewers and listeners uh, understand uh, to, to see, you know, where it might be interesting uh, hearing this from Jürgen von Holland, and you can hear my episode, episode 21, uh, interviewing him uh, at length about this. Um, if you haven't studied Cobot, so you don't really know that whole story, it's a pretty interesting one. And Universal Robotics really what kind of defined that market segment. And uh, and there were some interesting uh, characteristics of uh, you know how that kind of technology made possible. Uh, you kind of you know local fulfillment and and solve technical challenges in places uh, where it was kind of difficult to to get that kind of infrastructure, places that, that aren't like right down the street from a lot of robot vendors. And uh, and then it, it really actually starts echoing off of what Jeremy was saying earlier about some of the people on, on these shows, uh, that it's the the small and medium-sized businesses that often have, uh, you know, some pretty critical, uh, you know, business realities to how they need to solve things and where they need to bring in capabilities. And they can, uh, you know, buy you know, kind of eliminating some of the out-of-house uh, expenses and, and, and being, you know, capable themselves of fulfilling certain elements, they can really tighten uh, up a lot of stuff in, you know, costs and time and that kind of thing and, uh, and start, to, start to grow. So, uh, so you have him coming from this kind of background and seeing, you know, not only that Ultimaker has now been sort of adopted by uh, manufacturing companies, you know, leaders around the world uh, in, you know, kind of enterprise, you know, top, top 1000 businesses. Uh, but, uh, but also that we are uh, becoming a, you know, a, a trusted tool that really can, can meet the needs of some of these companies that, you know, they're really only looking to get, you know, a couple S5s or a pro bundle and really solve something. It might be very specific what they need to do. And, you know, it might be jigs and fixtures, it might be an, uh, you know, indirect materials that are not their product, but but help them really do their product in the way they would like to do, and uh, you know, and kind of eliminate some supply chain uh, issues. And so, uh, 
so he arrived, uh, you know, raring to go to share this story. And uh, the Ultimaker Transformation Summit was was his opportunity to kind of share his full vision of uh, Ultimaker as a platform, uh, a, a real strong focus on ecosystem, which extends beyond, uh, I mean, what you, how you define ecosystem, Jeremy, is totally correct. I would just bundle in that actually, you know, Ultimaker and and even our, our sales partners, uh, like, like you who are selling other vendors, you know, even together, we're not enough. We need to start bundling in, which we, we've been doing, other companies, uh, like the material companies in the material alliance, you know, you know the top chemical companies in the world uh, are helping to make profiles and, and really raising the, you know, kind of water level for, for profiles. In the past, I mean, all the OEMs made their own profiles. Mm-hmm. What did we know? I mean, we, we, we thought we knew a lot, but uh, we learned a lot once we really involved the material companies in understanding how these polymers relax and, you know, what the, the various, uh, you know, counterintuitive tweaks are. So you have material uh, partners, you have software partners, uh, you know, companies like, like Teton Simulation that make uh, Smart Slice for Cura. I don't know if you've had them on the show yet, but they're pr- pretty interesting. We, we have them actually. Funny you mention it. They are scheduled for an upcoming episode, but I will mention that, yes, we are a partner of theirs and our customers will find it on shop3duniverse.com. Very cool software. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. So that's something where, uh, yeah, well, uh, it, it ends up being uh, a transformation summit story. So I'll, I'll tell that briefly. So to sum up the, uh, the, the you know, our new CEO story mm-hmm. is that uh, he wanted to, to come and, and sort of share this vision and bring, you know, our new CTO and, uh, and, and Paul, who's the lead of our software strategy, uh, you know, together to, um, to, so, to really lay out uh, the ambition, the bold ambition of where we're going with Ultimaker and uh and get people excited and so it was this virtual conference we had uh sessions like that opening session i just described mm-hmm. uh but we also had uh you know a, a very large you know kind of virtual showroom kind of environment uh that had customer stories uh of you know all kinds of varieties uh so, some of which uh were, were you know included thanks to you know partners like 3d universe uh, material companies sharing what you know, you know, latest details about their offerings and how they really kind of add capability. Uh, you know, like BASF's, uh, you know, uh, metal FFF uh, solutions and, and their, um, you know, continuing leadership in, in that space. Uh, we also had a conference. Now I'm very attached to the conference because I I, I didn't just host it, but uh, but uh, Hana Takini, who's my producing partner at uh, Ultimaker uh, on both Talking Additive and the Global Webinar Series, we uh, we made uh, the conference together. Uh, we programmed it and, and booked everything and got some really inspiring folks um, from across uh, Ultimaker and some of the uh, you know, uh, software and, and material uh, partners to come in and, and share. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, we were pretty excited about what they, what they shared. Uh, we were, you know, proud to have, you know, booked, we think the right people, but, but they really, uh, shown and, uh, it's actually still up. You can kind of go and, and see a lot of this, but, uh, I can, I can summarize a couple of elements, uh, but I wanted to mention that the Teton Sim story, especially because you'll get a chance to see them here pretty soon. Um, so I interviewed Doug Kinnick, uh, on, uh, episode 22, 
so quite quite recently and talking at it. Um, actually, one of my favorite interviews so far. I, I mean, Doug really knows his stuff. He he, was, he does. Uh, not only does he he described himself as like a classically trained, uh, you know, um, in, in like continuous fiber. Uh, uh, well, I guess what is the the right term? But um, uh, like FEA analysis. Uh, you know, elements of, of how things break down, you know, what the limits are when, 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 uh, when things begin to deform beyond, uh, you know, return. Um, so he has this like deep technical knowledge, but he also was product manager on, um, when he was at Autodesk on generative design, which really kind of took something that was a really exciting piece of software, uh, like, like a core software utility and turned it into a product. So he has that kind of background and thinking, uh, the technical and the kind of entrepreneurial side. And so he was talking about how when uh, he banded back together with some of the folks that he had been working with uh, on continuous fiber stuff before they went to Autodesk and they, they did, um, you know, they, they launched Teton Simulation, uh, they didn't have to knock on Ultimaker's door and say, uh, you know, can we have permission to develop something for Cura? Because we have APIs. Nice. I mean, they, they did come and say hello, and we were really happy about what they were doing. They got a lot of encouragement. But okay. uh, but they nothing stopped them from jumping in and finding right. some things that they could do and finding uh, an opportunity for really extending, uh, you know, capabilities for, for the yeah, right, and, you know, kinds of but- and since we're talking about this, I'll just mention quickly for anyone listening who might not be familiar with this, the software that we're talking about, Smart Slice, and there is a free trial available. It, it's a plug-in for Cura, essentially, so that when you're, you know, when you're prototyping and you have a part that needs to hold up under certain conditions, and otherwise it's going to break, and you need to, typically the approach is you, you try something, right? You print it with certain settings and certain amount of infill, and you, you put it in and see if it breaks, right? And then you go back and try increasing the infill and thickening the walls and try again. Well, there's a lot of a lot of attempts to, before you finally get it right, and you often end up with wasted material because settings are never perfect. So this smart slice software allows you to take your model, tell it where the forces are being applied, where is a fixed point, where is force being applied, how much force. It'll analyze that for you and automatically generate custom settings so that different regions of the print have different settings. You might have more infill in a certain area and less in another area, and it's just it does all this for you. And then all you have to do is slice and print. It's pretty amazing <laughs> i mean i'm kind of obsessed with it especially yeah. because of the uh the, the one tricky thing with a lot of the generative uh tools as far as like generating um topology that that can you know do functional things is that you still maybe you have that topology you're ready to go you still have to slice it you still have to fabricate it and you know whether it's a, on a cnc or you know or, or a 3d printer um there can be real challenges to kind of matching those original goals. So having a tool like uh, Teton, uh, you know, Smart Slice for Cura that is thinking in terms of manufacturing methods and the materials and is really right. uh, kind of optimizing things and um, helping you really 
zero in and be pretty confident in the, right. the slicing. It's, it's well, really nice. That was something we talked about uh, just to wrap this topic up because, you know, that can, like I said before, there are so many materials on the market and that in itself can get expensive. If you're trying half a dozen different materials to figure out the right one for your application, well, Smart Slice, they've built in profiles for a whole bunch of different materials. So you can literally test to see how that material will hold up for your part before you ever buy a spool of it. I mean, it's just pretty, pretty yeah. slick stuff. So anyway, yeah. the, but you have this, so you, yeah, so you, the point being, you have this great open platform, it, you know, you got the open source hardware, you got open source software with an API. I mean, so getting back to just kind of this, you know, the value of this system. So some of the other things maybe that were announced at the summit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so in the conference, uh, well, okay. It's, um, I'll, I'll fold it into, into the, the two things because there were a couple of announcements that were in the, the, the kickoff day, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the presentation with our new CEO. Uh, but we also reinforced them in the conference. Uh, so over the course of the day, uh, w- one of the main things was really sharing the, you know, the, the kind of the new software centricity of, of Aldemaker. I mean, we, we have, you know, we've had top software that people have been using, you know, Cura, that mm-hmm. uh, has, you know, plays a major role in a lot of tool chains, including those not involving 3D printers of ours. Uh, but we really wanted to underscore uh, a, a, a bunch of opportunities for current software, like Digital Factory, Essentials, and, and some of these, uh, you know, new subscription packages that we announced um, that, you can actually, uh, you know, unlock a lot more, and, uh, you know, and so we have, uh, we're reinforcing that we do have this hardy, you know, plugin ecosystem and, uh, and, have, and showed over the course of the conference, uh, that, uh, you know, a couple of software partners like, like Castor, uh, it's quite interesting product uh, that, um, it, it helps you to use machine learning, uh, to analyze, even massive bombs of materials, you know, parts uh, in, in like, say, a, a huge manufacturing process for products and identify which ones uh, could be 3D printable and in which technologies. Now, it, it, before you think, oh, that sounds like an application engineer, it, well, it is sort of like having an a- application engineer if you didn't have one. But uh, application engineers like ours actually also like this because a lot of the really great candidates, and this is this is sort of true across you know the whole transformation of uh, professional desktop 3D printing. Uh, some of these parts they're not so fancy. It's it's uh, you, you don't have to focus the way you know kind of the early history of of 3D printing and additive manufacturing has been on only you know extremely high value uh, complex parts for aerospace that cost you $100,000 to make and, you know, and save you $50,000. Like, great. But like, I mean, certain contexts need that, uh, but, but not all of them. Uh, but when you can realize that some of these parts uh, are a perfect match, uh, not just as a, as a, oh, it's possible to 3D print them, but actually it's the right business model to print them. It's, it's going to be cheaper than any other way to produce them, especially at the quantities you, quantities you need at the time, you know, turnaround time to have them. And so, uh, so that's a really interesting package that's, uh, kind of unlocking a lot of, uh, capabilities for folks, uh, in particular that, um, you know, maybe there's just adding additive manufacturing capability and, and while they have, uh, you know, operational facility in, in producing parts, uh, they don't yet have those years of, of trying things and know what, you know, I could point to that one. That's the one to do. 
so, so they've integrated with uh, our uh, digital library aspect of Digital Factory, which you get, you know, with with our subscription models, uh, such as Essentials and Professionals and Excellence, and um, and why this is a little more interesting than it might first sound. Like there are many repos of parts that you can use. Uh, it's really interesting when you think about a team, uh, you know, creating parts, identifying parts, and then validating them. Uh, not only to get the right designs, you have a kind of stable thing to look at, uh, and you can put a lot of information there, including like the, the business value of, of actually doing that project. You can, uh, you know, they, they break that down in uh, digital libraries. So you can really kind of study that. And then when you have success, uh, surface it internally and say, you know what, we try this experiment. Look, this, this is the right way to do this part. Uh, and we're going to expect to save, you know, a thousand bucks this year on this part alone. Uh, this is now a process for us. Uh, but also you can get your, uh, slice files in there and, uh, and use digital factory to, uh, prepare things to put a, a 3d printer at any endpoint you want. I mean, it, it's, it's not new to, to guests of, of, of this show, the value of, of multiple uh, participants in a design having 3D printers so they can validate parts and designs and, and co collaborate and contribute. But also remembering that you can, uh, maybe you want to have a fabrication node that's, you know, on a factory floor or, you know, or, or in uh, or with a close collaborator who doesn't, wants to be hands off. They don't really want to do that work of, uh, you know, they're, they're not obsessed with 3D printers like Jeremy and me and, and like just get joy from trying to really dial them in. They just want to hit print, like have their part, like they don't care. Right. They want to have that part. Uh, so this kind of thing is really um it's really sort of changing uh, workflows. So you've got, uh, you know, Teton Sim uh, on the design front. You have, you have Caster uh, for uh, identifying parts and, and kind of adding that uh, understanding of the, you know, return on investment and, and business value of parts to help get you beyond your assumptions, which I'm sure uh, all of us have, inclu including me. Uh, I'm still excited about things that are cool to print that are probably not the right match. Um, <laughs> But we also included Autodesk. I mean, they, Fusion 360, they did an um, uh, integration so uh, you, you can send parts, you know, right to digital library really fluently. And, uh, and, and uh, in fact, the team at Ultimaker who were doing a hackathon in, in December, uh, j just to try some of the API stuff and push it and give a good example, uh, in just a couple of days, they, they spun up an Onshape uh, integration that works perfectly you know uh just as just as a couple you know like th three folks working together to uh, make so i'm going to jump in here because this is something i'd like to understand more I, I and maybe this is a good opportunity uh to use as an example you know you know and a lot of our our watchers know that i i work a lot with this enable volunteer community um and i'm actually involved in a collaborative design team project right now where about a dozen of us are working to come up with a new an improved uh, prosthetic hand model, and we're working collaboratively in Fusion 360. So this sounds like it could be really cool. I, and multiple people on our team have Ultimaker printers. So walk me through this. How how might this work? How would that tie in with the the digital library that you're describing, and how could that be used in a project like this? Well, I mean, in, in this case, it, it's taking advantage of our cloud API uh, details, and then you have you know the uh, you know Fusion has the you know the a 360, you know, you know, there's yes. their, uh, 
you know, their ecosystem for storing files. And so uh, where it might be exciting uh, is, uh, say, you're collaborating with the design, you're using all the collaboration tools in Fusion 360 uh, to, you know, e even kind of spin the tool around and, and get it uh, really tuned and get in annotations and comments and get things mm -hmm. tested. Well, as you get closer to done, and particularly uh, you want to do some further validation stages, uh, then at a certain point you want to uh, leave design and get things validated and start right. deploying it. And so that might be kind of the right case because uh, you can get a part out to the digital library, uh, you know, date and time stamped for uh, when it was uh, kicked out of the um Fusion 360 system, and um, and and print it and have it validated and have that code validated. Uh, you know, there now for you know uh, for depending on on your on your use and 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 how you're working with medical professionals to to bring something like that to a patient. Um, you know, you are, there's regulatory stuff you should follow, and and there's, you know, there's some interesting uh, tools um, and guidance uh, in the land of orthotics and medical devices uh, around that. Uh, but you can at least uh, integrate your process uh, with whatever you know compliance route you're doing, and say and and freeze in place. You know, this is how we're producing this part with this material with this hardware. Mm -hmm. And uh, the code is ready to go, and you uh, you have uh, you know pretty considerable confidence that you're going to get that that part again. Uh, so it means that you can speed up the process of evaluating, and you can also uh, recreate it more easily than uh, than trying to remember like version six or version seven. Yeah. Um, so and so that it starts to speed up collaboration that way. So if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, and this is forgive me, but this is actually one of these aspects that I'm not less familiar with because you guys keep you're doing a lot of development. There's a lot of new new things being added to the platform. So if I'm understanding it correctly, it, it, as opposed to just kind of you know creating your model and sticking an STL file somewhere, uh, we could use this platform to sort of store the models along with, for example, material uh, suggestions. Yeah. For example, on our team, we've decided we want to design for Pet G. That's kind of the optimal material for yeah. our application. Application, and that's going to feed into our design thinking. How thick does this or that part need to be, et cetera, given the strength of PETG? So we could actually specify that in by using digital library mm -hmm. to convey those instructions. Interesting. You can actually uh, share more information uh, there with that project. Uh, you can save, you know, you can get other files in there. Um, you can get some, some written instructions. Uh, and, and you can have those material pairings um, hmm, and even, even profiles if you have custom profiles. Well, I need to double check that. Um, I, yeah. I think you can call profiles, uh, but you might need to keep passing them around in the 3MS file. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, um, yeah but, but yeah, so uh, it, it becomes a matter of, um, you know, having that shared space that the collaborators can point to and say, you know, this is what we're working on. Um, which, I mean, this is a world in which, uh, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine the idea of working on a document that's not a shared document with a team anymore. Right. I mean, that, 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 that ship has sailed. And it still was a little bit uh, tricky doing this with, with 3D printed parts. Uh, even, you know, when you, I mean, there, there are ways to be, 
there, there are best practices to follow, and, and we've, we've all you know, kind of evolved some. Uh, but this is really tied into uh, getting as much information and value about how to produce that part as possible. And, and it's really starting to change things. And, and here's, here's an example from another customer that kind of uh, under, underlies why you would do this. Um, you know, Azoth that, that uh, works with a bunch of top enterprise manufacturers, uh, they, uh, they have uh, a plan uh, they, they call uh, you know, Tomo, uh, you know, take one, make one, uh, that uh, is set up to validate digital inventory. So these are parts that have been validated as files uh, thoroughly for mechanical purposes. So uh, it's a little it's a little easier to use the whole system for this. Uh, our system is not you know set up for for medical compliance. Uh, so so they uh, do they bring their expertise in in three D printing and, and you know and helping their customers uh, prepare these parts, um, and then those customers can fulfill those parts uh, as needed. Uh, in, in a way that they can basically, the second they use one, uh, they have a spare and it triggers the production of a, of a new spare replacement. <laughs> and so it, if you can think about the, you know, the, the cost of inventory, a lot of places, um, I mean, they, they, I think they work with a lot of uh, tier ones where there's, um, there, there's some uh, mandatory, you know, readiness uh, requirements that you could lose your your contract if you don't don't meet so you know people will have entire systems sitting there like entire like electronics line that could you know make electronics to the ground up sitting there under dust wrap because they just have to, they they cannot be limited by suppliers or they they don't they can't fulfill that role to to their you know uh upstream uh you know customer and so uh this this allows them to be very mindful of which parts um they can have ready uh, to, to run at a, you know faster than they can have it produced uh, off you know out of sight, and um, and that really speaks to a future in which maybe uh, the production of parts, the uses of materials and, and resources in general, are much more you know kind of closer to kind of that just in time model, but maybe. With, with less of the uh, the recent supply chain difficulties in in doing complete just in time stuff, um, where you really are, are being very intentional about where and when you uh, you print a part, or you know you produce a part, uh, so that you can really uh, be incredibly flexible about what you need and not put all of your capital investment in uh, you know rooms full of parts that uh, that that even you know kind of kind of spoil. Yeah. And, I mean, part of this is also the, you know, the functional materials uh, are a huge part of this and uh, industry uh, from product, you know, a, you know, product designers and an engineering firm all the way up to, you know, enterprise manufacturing, recognizing that um, there are a lot of parts that just by tradition are over-engineered and produced in metals that just really shouldn't be like, there's just, it's not actually wor worth all the the milling and, and, uh, you know, loss of, uh, material to produce them, uh, for them to do their job. And so a really targeted polymer solution is actually, uh, a much more sustainable solution in the long run. So we're starting to see that pushing through. And I, I can only imagine that that conversation will grow over time. I certainly hope so. We need it. Yeah. 
so well, so let me just zip through because I, I I got really excited about the software elements, which is not surprising. Yeah, that was yeah. the main message of the, the conference, but the I mean of the of the summit in general. But the conference also included a couple other things. Like we we had uh, Bart Vanas come on uh, to to talk about Ultimaker's material line, and uh, which was a really uh, handy video if you get a chance to see it because it uh, it, it really shows you. Uh, how these, um, how, you know, how these selections were made, and and and, uh, and how we work with engineering partners to to help them uh, to to be to really guide how profiles are created. Uh, but he he also got a chance to to launch the, um, the the news that came out earlier this week that we're now offering Ultimaker Pet G and yes. uh, made a strong case for why uh, it's it's really especially for industrial uh, contexts. Uh, gonna be the new baseline um material a lot we'll use and yeah. and this the, the the pet g that we launched is very printable it's very nice uh, there's a lot of pet g's out there but uh it is quite nice and I yeah think and and you know we we do already have it available yep so check out shop3duniverse.com get your ultimaker pet g um i'm looking forward to trying it out myself i haven't gotten the the the, uh, the order here yet but it's um yeah. it is exciting to me because I, I i so often talk about how it's almost a little bit frustrating sometimes the way people kind of so many people stick with just like pla and they never explore further when there's so yeah. many other more interesting options out there that you really don't need to be afraid of things are much easier to print these days with the current formulation than than what maybe you experienced in years back, and um, Pet G is one of those materials. I mean, I, I fell in love with Tough PLA a while ago, and that still is sort of my go-to material because it's so easy and so tough, and you know, just yeah. it, it just has everything I'm looking for. But if you need a little extra temperature resistance, that's where it falls short, and that's where I love Pet G. I mean, it gives you the same. You get that great strength, and you know, the same kind of easy to work with, which is not common for all Pet G, but Ultimakers, and designed for printability. And then, and just the, you know, that temperature. It's not it's not the highest temperatures. I think it's up to like seventy six C, right? For temperature resistance, so it's. I mean, it's a it's a good level of temperature yeah, resistance, sure. not as high as something like maybe a, you know polycarbonate or nylon carbon fiber, but it's pretty good. So yeah, I think it's a very exciting material. And uh, it, it really, you know, with with all of the value of this technology for um, you know manufacturing process aids, etc. Uh, it, it's exciting recognizing that uh, it, in a lot of cases this will fully meet the engineering requirements uh, of a lot of these parts and um, it really kind of kind of open up uh, niche elements as a solution um, where, you know, it's not, uh, you know, a step towards something. It's a pretty affordable way to just get it done. Right. Uh, and, you know, and in, in general, I think that the messaging, I mean, those of us who are in 3D printing get, you know, almost sick of talking about jigs and fixtures because for us, this this was solved years ago. Uh, but you know, manufacturers are still kind of recognizing this is this is a great solution. Yeah. Uh, I think over time, people are going to realize you know they really shouldn't be paying more than this for indirect uh, you know parts. They yeah. uh, they can do this, be flexible, empower their their staff that really knows uh, how they're working with those. Uh, the parts and processes uh, to, to um, you know, be flexible to change things. And, uh, you know, 
focus their attention and their engineers and their, you know, their costly parts on uh, really the, the, the core business, uh, right. core elements. Yeah. Right. So, so I, now, we're kind I, of on a route for, for 3D printing to get uh, really boring in a way that's going to really change things. Uh, that would be a yeah. good boring. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so there's, let's, there's still plenty of interesting things. I, I want to get into, if I, if you don't mind, I want to get into a little bit of yeah. uh, some of the changes that were announced. There were some changes that were talked about. Most importantly, that anytime anyone who buys an Ultimaker 3D printer now, one of the current models, you get Ultimaker Essentials free of charge, yeah. lifetime access. That's something that you used to have to pay for. Tell us about Essentials. What is Essentials? What are you getting with that? Well, uh, when when we were talking about the ecosystem earlier, uh, you had mentioned you know there's uh, you know there's hardware, materials, software, and also the whole support ecosystem. Right. Uh, you know that's all part of it. Uh, but you can kind of go a little beyond that. Uh, we have you know Digital Factory, which is you know a cloud tool that allows you to manage your printers, but also you know kind of communicate about them. You know connect with with teams around them. And uh, digital library that allows you to, you know, kind of manage, deploy those parts, and and essentially uh, track, you know, what's what's really, you know, key. So when for we those this- for those who are watching as opposed to listening, I'm just yeah. going to pull up the digital factory on oh, screen perfect. here so they can kind of see what you're talking about here. This is just you're just looking at our yeah. printers here. Yeah, so you could dive in and, and see what's what's running on them. You can start jobs. Uh, you can you you can you know, look at the data of what's been produced and what materials it's, it's, so this kind of core business data w- was often just kind of lost, uh, in, in the kind of lab experiences that, you know, really we've all kind of followed over the years where you take a thumb drive, you run over to a printer and you run something and you get your part and you're like, you almost don't care that the printer survives after that moment of you getting, getting that part. Well, uh, this is helping you to start to really, uh, Draw more conclusions from what you're doing, what you're learning. Uh, you you might identify a part keeps you know kicking through a, a lab, and it never is produced right. And it's like, okay, stop stop thinking that you should just hit print each time. Take a look at this part. What's what's wrong with this? Why is this failing? Um, anyway, so so these these elements and the capabilities uh, that we are already we're offering, you know, as a you know kind of before essentials. Uh, with essentials, we. Uh, Really stepped up the game and, and reached out to get you know outside help, uh, in particular for security uh, integration because uh, we had a lot of enterprise and university customers likewise who uh, they have strict IT policies to even get things through the door, and uh, and and honestly we had allies in in a lot of these places and they would find ways to do this, but it, it was kind of advanced to kind of solve how they would do things. And, and it was a, a pain point for them in working with IT uh, to the point that, you know, some would like sneak around and, you know, uh, essentially, you know, either like rip out, you know, Wi-Fi cards or that kind of thing just to, to get them <laughs> through the door. Uh, so, so now instead we have, uh, you know, we, we've worked to get a lot of help to make sure that we're compliant for a lot of security uh you know, for, for having a heightened security. And, uh, and yeah, there's have, actually a firewall built into the printers now, right? Yes. Yeah. There's a firewall built into the printers. Uh, there's Cura Enterprise, which, you know, uh, many of us like to live on the bleeding edge and have new changes. But you can imagine if you're managing a big lab of users and you don't 
you know, you don't want to worry that um, someone less experienced can do something dangerous to kind of endanger the whole lab. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's a level of vigilance in your part that might, you know, uh, burn you out pretty fast. So you can instead use, uh, you know, one that's already validated for that, for that use and can be, uh, de- you know, uh, installed over the, um, you know, over the network, yeah, over the, int- yeah, over the network, et cetera. And so, uh, basically we launched that cause we knew this was, uh, the next step to really making this useful for enterprise and university customers. Um, and, and over the course of getting a lot of feedback and working really closely with um, a, a bunch of these customers, including uh, about like 40 really closely and, you know, taking meetings and, and even, you know, rolling out changes, um, we, we realized that there, there would be a, a different arrangement would be better. The essentials really is essential for everyone. So we wanted to, to make that uh, a part of any hardware purchase from now on. And we offered two new uh you know, higher level, uh, service packages. Now, if, if you're one who, um, you know, isn't looking for enterprise software, you know, you, you might not be the right, you know, candidate for these. Uh, but, uh, a lot of these customers, they were not only willing to, to kind of spend more to have uh, a lot more access to things such as the, you know, the top, uh, top tier, um, excellence actually comes with some API support. I mean, you could basically get some some hours from our lead uh, architects uh, to uh, to help you integrate and, and solve problems. Like that's very valuable. And so uh, some of these enterprise customers are not only used to doing that kind of thing, uh, they were kind of missing that option. They, they were, uh, you know, offering to like steal our employees and, and trap them there to, to solve their problems. And so, so now we can, we can help them without them taking our staff. Um, and, uh, likewise, there are some additional resources such as, uh, CAD and interoperability, uh, translation, et cetera, that are appearing for professionals, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know, the next tier up. So, uh, you can, you can go and, ch- and check out these at, at, um, ultimaker.com and really get to get to know if, if they're the right matches for you and um and, and uh, in fact do uh a a um well it's not a demo but you can you can get a uh, a first month free uh to trial to to really evaluate make sure it is the right solution for you uh and uh and so now see- you so you, what we have in mind there. So you talked about Digital Factory. We, we took a look at that. You talked about yep. Digital Library and helping to centrally manage jobs and all that. Tell me about Academy, because this is also something that's very exciting to me, that you, when you get an Ultimaker printer, you now get access to Ultimaker Academy. Tell yes. us about what that is. Yeah. So we uh, announced this, uh, you know, uh, you know, not not too much little than a year ago uh, that uh, we were you know, offering the, the Academy and that they were making this a, a central, uh, offering, uh, ongoing, you know, ongoing, um, it, there, the, the, while the library is still building, there is really exciting stuff in there. We started with, uh, actually the it integration elements for essentials, which now, you know, any of you who buy hardware now can, can benefit from, uh, because what it, what it means is that, you know, if you're the champion for additive manufacturing in your company and uh, you need to integrate into systems that exist, I mean, those, those folks might not be as excited about 3D printing as you. And you can, uh, you can get them up to speed and, and see 
uh, how to integrate this and the efforts we've taken to try to really uh, be as flexible and as good a match for, you know, uh, standards, uh, ways of, of solving these things. And how, and to, so how then, to overcome uh, those barriers. <laughs> yes. yes. You can, you can make friends with your IT team instead of, uh, having them like sitting prepared to like shut you down and take your, your toys away. Cause right. you know, you might, no. uh, so, uh, so those, uh, elements are in there, which are a great resource because it was kind of, I mean, it was a steep learning curve to figure out how to solve that for this particular use. Sure. And uh, instead, now uh, anybody, uh, you know, any company can can add these services pretty easily. Uh, but there are other elements that um, uh, are are useful for absolutely everybody. Oh yeah. Uh, such as the onboarding videos. That's now, my favorite. Yeah. Um, yes, and, and so if if you buy a product now, you can uh, as a part of, uh, you know, bring it home and. Uh, and setting it up, you can you can get access to those onboarding videos. That now uh, it, it's easier for you to get the whole set of them. Um, and what is particularly helpful is these e-learning uh, pieces. They're not only uh, a, a great way to um, to get the basics of how to use and and the full capabilities of the the platform that you have, have picked, uh, but you know, it's on us to, to make sure that it's uh, keeping you up to date with uh, shifts in firmware, in versions of Cura, in uh, hardware revisions. And uh, this is something universities in particular have been um, really excited to see because they're, they're looking to take those elements and kind of flip the training. They would like to be able to uh, have, you know, uh, new users showing up to the lab that want to use 3D printing. Uh, to go and uh, you know complete these kinds of tasks and and learn about how to you know how to use this equipment uh, from from us you know with the um, all the, the the pieces in place instead of constantly remaking those videos internally so now they can take uh, they can just kind of incorporate those elements and have mm -hmm. that a part of their process and can. Um, they can focus their attention on shop policy and, and how things are, are done in that facility and what the goals and values are there, which is a better use uh, of time for, you know, uh, for those teams and, uh, and, and labs to do. Because that's, yeah. that's, you know, you know, that's unique to that, that place. So we have other uh, elements in there. Uh, there's some, there's some Cura elements that are in there. They're quite good and really, really helpful. Uh, but behind the scenes, the e-learning the e team has been doing some amazing stuff. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, freak them out by sharing the full roadmap, which would not <laughs> be helpful for them and would just uh, cause them to kill me. But, uh, but they're, uh, the content is amazing and it's being drawn from all across the company, uh, particular collaborations with the AEs um, and, and R&D. Uh, so this is really great content. And we've announced that we're going to, um, in the relatively near future, start to roll out the um, some of the kind of, you know, like intermediate uh, level uh, resources that have, have been created internally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, we'll, we'll, we'll let those come out naturally, but I think that, uh, that, uh, our entire ecosystem will be, uh, strongly benefited. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I, I, I that kind of takes us back to the original topic, right, of, you know, talking about the overall value of, you know, looking at maybe an Ultimaker solution versus some of the alternatives that are out there. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about 
transformation today. And I think some of that is maybe referring to the transformation we're seeing in the 3D printing industry and how it's being used, but perhaps equally important, the transformation that can happen within organizations as they incorporate 3D printing and change the way they're doing things. But in order for that to really see its full potential, it has to be integrated. It has to be distributed through an organization. Everyone has to be able to have access to this technology. They have to have common workflows. They, you know, The things that we talked about today, like the digital library and being able to specify not only your, here's the models, but here's how you print them and with what material and what settings, um, giving access to the common software platform and common machines and different materials. Just when you think about all of that used together in a collaborative environment, that's where I kind of start thinking there's, there's some really unique value here that you don't get out of just getting a 3D printer and putting it on your desk, you know, and that's, that's what I was, I was hoping we could kind of share with people today. So um, I'd like to hear your take on, on that, Matt, you know, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time today. It's amazing how, how fast these things go, but um, in the, in the couple minutes remaining, give me your kind of, what's your take on that? If you're, you're looking at somebody who's considering a 3D printing solution for their organization, it's a big investment. Give us the pitch. What is, what is the value of investing in the Ultimaker ecosystem in, in your mind? Well, uh, you know, the kind of advice I usually give folks who are trying to choose equipment is to really figure out what they need and really understand what they need and, uh, and, and what they can afford in terms of the, uh, also the, the long-term investment. Uh, there are a lot of cases where, where people will kind of race to a decision. I mean, not to, it won't surprise. Surprise you that I'll mention that there are uh, risks of buying, you know, really low-cost uh, solutions because uh, they they might not meet, meet your need and they might require a pretty steep learning curve to really get them to sing and to maintain them. Uh, but if if you look at uh, the kind of experience offered by Ultimaker that Jeremy was talking about earlier, where it's really uh, all the effort is going in to try to to make this as uh, seamless an experience as possible so you can really focus on the parts that you're making and uh, you know and, and getting you know stable workflows and, and producing them or you know your prototyping pathways so you're not like just always fussing in the back of your mind like oh should I if I if I change you know how I do the like motion mechanicals on my printer could I get a slightly different you know type of field the texture of my parts like well you know, there's a place for that, but there's also a place for, uh, you know, um, I can get a whole team using an Ultimaker in like half an hour and, uh, in the, in, you know, I can unbox as I often do, uh, a, a brand new printer at a show or, you know, visiting a customer and in seven minutes, you know, it's up and it's up and running. It's, it's ready yeah. to go. And, you know, I, I'm saying this not as like a brag, I'm saying this as someone who has been in desktop 3D printing since its uh, you know, earliest days. And this is desktop. Not, I'm not old enough to be from the earliest days of industrial 3D printing. Uh, so I guess I was alive. Uh, but the, um, you know, it, it used to take days to really get these printers to seeing uh, any desktop 3D printer seeing, and to have it uh, so ready to go. Um, it, what it does is it allows you to start. Uh, thinking about 3D printing as a different component. It's not something you're scared about. It, and it's not even like your primary energy tool. And, that, and I think that over time, that's really kind of our goal. We want it to hmm. kind of set further and further into the background as just like, I need parts. 
I care about my parts. I'm making my designs. I'm going to get the fluency of making the parts and following the processes and, and suiting the, you know, the right material to it. So I'm not going to waste all my time, you know, maintaining and tuning and tweaking right. uh, machines. I like that uh, way so, of looking so at that's it. Part of it. But then the, the, the other part, um, uh, it, you know, one of, um, one of my friends from New York that I really have long trusted in this, and, and he's actually been in industrial 3D printing from the very beginning, uh, Arthur Young Spivey, who, who's, you know, taught and, you know, he's worked in, in various contexts in, in almost every platform. Um, you know, he always would, would tell people when they ask him, because they constantly ask him, um, and he'd just say, you know, buy the printer uh, where you, you know that you'll be able to get service and support in five years. That he's like, he's like, forget everything else, just just do that. <laughs> and and so I'd like to point to that, like you know, when when you're buying into our ecosystem, I mean, we're we're here, we're solid. We really believe in in getting our customers printing. Um, even our printers even have like among the highest resale value out there. Uh, so if you, if you don't like us, you're still fine. Yeah. You could sell it, and, and somebody who absolutely loves them will, will grab them from you happily. Um, and uh, and the comp- all those elements I was mentioning before are, are, are pushed towards an ecosystem model, are pushed to uh, really strengthening the, the, the software uh, role in, in changing how you design and manage and, and fulfill parts. Uh, it, it's also a part of Ultimaker extending itself, uh, its internal skill set, our knowledge, you know, out there in the world. We really want people to have good experiences with 3D printing. And we want to, um, you know, to, to get all the tools possible uh, to, to make it more and more uh, easy for teams to add this capability and to be uh, very specific, like, you know, adding units of fabrication. You can uh, start with a, you know, if you're a manufacturer, you start with a couple of experiments. Uh, you haven't invested it in a crazy capital expense that you're going to be regretting for the end of time. You've bought what you need. And, and even as you're getting to know it, you might get a return on investment in a couple, couple months, even, yeah. uh, you know, depending on your, on your and, and that's, uh, I have to say, that's one of the things I've always loved about 3d printing is that you buy this machine. And certainly if, you know, it helps if you, you buy the right one, but pretty much any 3d printer you buy into the value that that machine offers to you is going to continue to grow over time because there's new materials coming to the market all the time. You got new software, you know, plugins for Cura, you know, just all these things that are coming out that are opening up these new possibilities for your existing hardware that you already invested in. I think that's one of the coolest things about this. And I I have to just share one quick anecdote because it, it illustrates, I think, what you were talking about, the different kind of printers. I said at the beginning, we offer a lot of different kinds of solutions because there's a lot of different kinds of needs out there. We sell the Creality printers as an example. It's a very different kind of a target audience. But as an example, you know, I got my older brother into 3D printing uh, over this past year, and he's done some amazing cosplay stuff with his 3D printers. I got him started uh, with an Ultimaker, and he's still doing great things with that. But he's added to his collection, and he decided to bring in a Creality, one of the big ones. And, um, I mean, he's doing amazing things with it, but my brother's an engineer. He has probably replaced half the parts on this thing. He's rewritten the, the firmware himself and custom the auto leveling. I mean, I can't imagine the kind of hours he's put into it. Now he loves it. And there's a lot of people out there that really love that. And if that's you, you know, you can have a lot of fun with some of these printers. But if that's not you, if you just are looking at this as I need a tool that's going to work reliably to get my parts, that's kind of where I think Ultimaker shines. So 
Yeah, and 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 uh, th- no offense to Creality, but that it's um, that's so much the Creality culture of three D. Yeah. you're gonna have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> uh, it. It's really great. I think it, I think it's it almost started. I mean, it's uh, I mean they, they can you know out of the box they, they print pretty well. Exactly. Uh, I should be clear. He's replacing these parts yeah. to fine tune and optimize. Not that something broke. You know, he's just wants to exactly. tweak it. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, you know, a pretty easy way to get into 3D printing, uh, but then uh, became a kind of dare to, to many, uh, many engineers out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. how can I take this this platform and just, play just with push it, it a little further? further. <laughs> I, yeah. I love that. I mean, it, yeah. to be honest, that's that's where a lot of the strength for Ultimaker came from. Sure. The that's where the innovation happens. Uh, that's right. You know, when they were rolling out in 2011, 2012, they were the, the fastest, you know, FFF 3D printers out there. And some of the users were doing insane things with it. I mean, some, mm-hmm. some still advice, do. But, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so that spirit kind of remains, uh, I mean, definitely in our staff, like I've been interviewing a lot of staff members for upcoming, uh, 10th year anniversary and, uh, and kind of doing a, um, kind of oral history of, of the history of Ultimaker and, uh, and seeing that that passion to explore and to push things further and see what's possible and share that is still alive and well. And so, so I kind of love that. I have, I have friends that, you know, you know, a a lot of my friends in the 3d printing world, um, you know, you know, they have a, they have a room full of solutions and they're not satisfied just by having a printer that works. (laughs) They want to try the next one and that's half the fun. Well, Matt, this has been a really fun conversation. I hope we've been able to share some of what we wanted to with those watching and listening um, about sort of what's involved when you're investing into an Ultimaker 3D printing solution other than just this you know, box that's going to show up on your doorstep. And uh, so I thank you for helping us to get a better understanding of all that. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I want to remind our audience, as always, uh, head over to our blog at 3duniverse.org. You can always find 3D Universe Untethered in the upper left corner there. Just click on that to see all of our past episodes and our upcoming episodes. We've got some great content coming up. And a reminder to head over to talkingadditive.com to check out uh, Matt's podcast series as well. Really cool stuff, especially this Tuesday episode coming up. I'm going to be checking that out myself as well, for sure. So um, thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. I hope you'll join us again next time. And Matt, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on here. Really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.